who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast, the fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today we're locked, loaded, and ready for war again, this time discussing the second film in the Expendables franchise, The Expendables 2. In this continuation of the testosterone-heavy series, Sylvester Stallone reunites his ensemble of action-packed mercenaries including Jason Statham, Dolph Lundgren, Jet Li, Randy Couture, Terry Crews, Bruce Willis, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. This time, the Expendables take on a new deadly threat in the form of Jean-Claude Van Damme, who plays Villan, a sadistic arms dealer intent on selling five tons of plutonium to the highest bidder. What do you want from research? I knew the day would come when you were going to pay me back. You can't let the contents of that safe fall into the wrong hands. Track him, find him, kill him. You're gonna need more men if you expect to get out of here alive. It'll terminate in your dreams. Here we go! I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me once again is my buddy Brenton Hasem from the website and YouTube channel, All Out of Bubblegum. Brenton, how's it going, man? All right. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing okay. I've really been looking forward to this. I, I think, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if you could tell from uh, our various prior conversations, but it's kind of hard to believe that I'm that I'm already here at this point, you know, discussing this particular film. I mean, I've, I've gone through the highs and the lows and let's face it. There've been a lot of lows in the, in the <laughs> career of, uh, of our man of the hour, but uh, yeah, it's hard to believe I'm, I'm now within the, uh, the past decade, I guess of his films. And uh, this film, I'll just say it right now. I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's this movie's an incredible accomplishment, especially if you grew up on these guys in the eighties and nineties. Oh, most definitely, and it, it was always a, a given. I mean that uh, that I'd have you on for this. So I mean, obviously, you've uh, I had to kind of twist your leg to to get you on for some of the the prior <laughs> episodes. But this one, I mean, I always had it in my mind. I was like, 
okay, look, this one is going to be Brenton joining me for this one. So I really, really do appreciate it. Um, before we really dive into the film, um, I have to, I have to ask, I was going to save it for the end, but, um, uh, we'll just go there right now. Is it fair to say that, that, uh, the, the website all out of Bubblegum has been, I don't know if resurrected is the correct term, but it's, it's back, it's going, it's being updated. Is that right? It is. It is. Uh, it's more or less, uh, uh, almost what you would call unzombified. It's pretty much rolling again. Very cool. And you're still obviously doing the video essays. Uh, you yeah. know, we can find those on YouTube. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that as we move on, but, um, Let's get to one of the big, uh, <laughs> one of the big uh, aspects of this episode. We can say you and I have kind of established a bit of a tradition of sorts uh, when when we do our discussions, in which we partake in a beverage that, uh, that that accompanies the film. And I think it was with the Russian specialist where we decided to kind of choose a beverage or cho- choose a beer, for that matter, that. Um, aligned with the film thematically. So if you remember with, uh, with Russian specialists, what was it? We had a Russian stout. Is that right? Yeah. I think Ivan the terrible, I think was it. At least yes. that's what I was drinking at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember for diamond dogs in my mind, I had it to where I really wanted to find something Mongolian, but for the life of me, I couldn't find anything Mongolian. And then when you and I, you know, when I kind of broached the idea of, of discussing this film with you, we were thinking, okay, we really need to find something that, uh, that, that really aligns with this particular film. So I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole where I was thinking, okay, well, it'd be really kind of cool if I could find something Swedish, you know, to kind of align with, uh, with Mr. Lundgren's background, but couldn't find that. And then I thought, well, look, the Expendables is a millennium films production. Their offices are in Bulgaria. The film was filmed in Bulgaria. Maybe I can Mm -hmm. find something that didn't happen. However, I was at, my local, uh, my local establishment, and I'm actually uncorking it now. There we go. Um, <laughs> this is this is a. There you go. Yeah, you too. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, Saint Bernardus. Uh, it is a Belgian Abbey ale, and I figured, look, since uh, Jean Claude Van Damme is in this particular film, and I, I have a lot of things to say about him, but uh, I'll just say it right now. I think Van Damme could probably be one of the very best things about this film i thought oh, i'm so glad you think so oh yeah so i thought look uh you know what you and i partaking in a uh, in a belgian beer serves this episode right yes i agree yeah. and you had no problem finding this uh, particular beverage either so no no i had it at my local place too Excellent. Well, it is. I just took a drink. It is it is uh it's actually not bad. It's actually pretty good. So yeah yeah, it's, uh, quite refreshing. Actually, I've, I've been chilling mine, so it's very cold, hot day well, up here. Well, and and unfortunately, the listeners can't see, but um, the the bottle is pretty cool. I mean, this thing is uh, this, this thing is nine point four flowing ounces. It has a cork with like a copper rim to it and everything. With it looks like a a monk on it as well. Yeah, I mean, this is very this happy is a, monk. A very happy monk. This is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool beverage. Well. Okay, so let's let's just talk real quick. I mean, before we really dive into this film, I guess let, let's go back briefly to the first film because I think you're like me in a sense. The first Expendables movie, you had to be stoked to no end when oh, the yeah. first movie came out. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I, I I should tell you, I I did listen to your your previous episodes on that first one, and uh, you and. Chris, in particular, you, you kind of nailed it where it was just sort of 
we were watching and every casting announcement was, uh, was either amazing or possibly scary. You just didn't know, but you know, you were just excited anyways to have Lundgren and Stallone again on the screen. And then the movie was actually pretty good. Like, I, I'm actually a fan of the first one. I think it's pretty good. It has choppy editing here and there, and the tone is kind of all over the place. But where it matters, it works. It, you know, as a, as an action film, uh, especially a late 2000s action film, it's really good. It doesn't bite off more than it can chew. I mean, no. you know what I mean? Like, whereas, I mean, I'm going to be getting to it, and event- eventually Expendables 3, on the other hand, that one is is a classic case of where okay more necessarily isn't better i guess we can say but um yeah the the, the first one yeah i mean it, it which is kind of kind of amazing in a sense okay when when stallone had the idea of doing a film that you know put all of these all of these big action guys and all these big egos into the same movie you kind of think okay that's an awesome conceit but is every is every action star going to get enough screen time on film, and is it gonna are they going to be serviced just right? And I mean, for the most part, he did it. I mean, and it was a it really was a, an amazing spectacle to see. Yeah, well, they I I, I didn't um, even though I was following the casting and I was very much into it, I didn't look at that first film as a kind of dirty dozen with. Uh, who's uh, who of casting inside of it. I, I was excited for the casting, but that's just not how I saw the movie. That is, however, how I saw the second one rounding up as they would announce casting. I was just in, I was just happy with who they were bringing to the table in the first one. I think what it ultimately became known for, you know, having Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Lundgren, Willis, Jet Li, Jason Statham, the second film delivers on that premise so much more that uh, it's, it's, it's weird. Hey, it kind of retroactively makes you look at the first one as, as a little lesser, but I don't think that that's, that was the intent ever. And I, I never viewed it as such. Well, and I didn't think it was possible. I mean, because I mean, and I said it when we discussed you know, the expendables, I was, I was a kid who grew up in the eighties and the nineties who loved comic books. And so you would think that okay, a film like the Avengers or Justice League, that is something that I would be going crazy for. But the original yeah. Expendables, no man. I mean, you can ask anyone in my circles, even my wife, for crying out loud, when that movie was in, when it was in production leading up to its release. I mean, I, I, I was like a kid again. I could not believe that it was happening, and I didn't think it was possible. But leading up to the uh, release of Expendables two. It was the same thing, almost maybe even more so. I mean, I don't, I mean, here I was, I was stoked and excited for the first movie, but leading up to the second one, I mean, come on, the addition of Jean Claude Van Damme and Chuck Norris, that alone, you know, just completely amped up my excitement, you know, (laughs) tenfold. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, My heroes growing up were, were absolutely Arnold. Uh, Sly, Dolph, Chuck Norris, and Van Damme. And, you know, just just those guys, really. Like, those guys were, like, the main guys for me. So even the idea that these guys were going to be in a movie together, uh, I mean, I, I it's, it's impossible to overstate how excited I was for this. And 
um, you know, spoilers for the end of this, but I just, I had the time of my life watching this movie. Oh yeah. Even, even on a rewatch. I mean, I don't know about you, but um, on my most recent viewing that this had to be at least the sixth, seventh time. I want to say I've seen it and, it, it is still just such such a kick in the pants watching that. I mean, it is so much fun. You know, we can say looking at the the first Expendables movie. I mean, that was that was a hit. I mean, that was a that was a pretty big hit for both mm-hmm. Sylvester Stallone, Lionsgate, Millennium Films. So a sequel was inevitable. And yeah. as as with many sequels, I mean, with this particular franchise, there are so many opportunities um, that a sequel, uh, or excuse me, there's so many opportunities and directions that a sequel could go. So because it was a big success. It was a, a sequel was immediately fast tracked almost almost after opening weekend with the first one, and so the obvious strategy for this particular film, as is with most sequels, is to go bigger. Okay, yeah. and that's that's what all sequels do, right? They they kind of they take the first one they t- as as a, as a prototype or a blueprint, if you will. They use that and they just go bigger. And so, considering the gimmick of the film, because we're going to be getting into this, and I always go back to this, but with a franchise like The Expendables. The gimmick or the main story is just having everybody together. I mean that you know what I mean that that's that's what it is. And so the the obvious strategy here is okay, we're going to bring in more action stars. And so for this one, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme was wisely brought in, as was the iconic uh, Chuck Norris. And so, like I said, the addition of these two just amped up my excitement to a whole other level. And I will say right now, I mean, I know that. I know that Van Damme um, got some guff because he um, he sat out of the first one and he did not want to do the first one. But when you look at this film and you see the character that he gets to play in this one, it's kind of like, dude, Jean-Claude, he was wise to sit out on Expendable, Expendables 1 because here he gets such a showier role. I mean, he gets such a cool character. Well, yeah, Van Damme brings so much to the table here. It's one of those times, too, where uh, I think people kind of have always sort of shrugged him off uh, acting-wise. But you watch him in this movie, and he's doing things, just interesting things. as a He's creating a character with it that uh, I, I just love what he's doing. Like, every time he's on the screen, he sort of, like, sucks in your attention. He's mm-hmm. great. He's mysterious. Um, he, he doesn't mind being weird. Uh, if you watch the outtakes, he's doing even weirder stuff that they had to like cut out. So uh, I, I applaud him for this movie, and I applaud Stallone for bringing him in when he didn't really need to. I mean, they left out Seagal, although let's face it, who knows what Seagal can even bring anymore. <laughs> but it would have uh, been a lot, he, a lot of stunt doubling. Oh let's yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, when you watch the the first film, you watch that back. You have that scene um, where Willis, Stallone, and Schwarzenegger are in a, a scene together. I would not have minded if they brought in uh, some other guys, uh, you know, brought in Seagal, or you bring in Clint Eastwood, and you would have a scene like that just so you can say they were there. Um, but ultimately, you don't need it because what they do in this film is so good with what mm-hmm. they have. Right, right. Well, I mean, and for this installment, uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know, he directed the last one. But for this one, he decided to step back a bit and hand over the directing reins to someone else. So enter an accomplished action director. I mean, I remember kind of like with the first Expendables movie, when this one was announced and in production, once again, I was on Expendables Watch. 
you know, just following the production. And oh, when, same. yeah. And when Simon West was announced as the director, I did not hesitate once. I mean, because let's face it, Con Air, come on. Con Air, in my opinion, is one of the one of my favorite movies of the 1990s. And then uh, he did uh, The Mechanic with Jason Statham. So, yeah. you know, I knew that this film was going to be in, uh, in top-notch hands. Well, you know, Simon West is, is sort of a journeyman director, but he, he brings everything together. He ties it in, a, in, in just a, a probably the most tonally consistent bow that a guy can do with, with the material. You have all these guys, um, half the time, they're not even in the same damn location. They, they're just edited together like this. Now, I know there were some accusations of that on the first one, but generally they're all there. It was just edited that way. But in this one, there's, you know, like the opening scene, um, Jet Li is not even in the same country as the, as the rest of the crew. Yeah. So it's, it's just impressive. It feels just consistent all the way through. And it's just a, you know, he gets the tone right. He gets the, the humor and stuff. Things that Stallone, uh, bless him, just didn't really nail down in the first one. He tried. Um, he, he seems to think that these guys are, and, and in fairness to him, in person, they're probably very funny. They probably have great conversations. But he thinks that will translate on screen, and it really doesn't. So this one is a tighter, uh, tighter direction of the, of the script. And it just works. And you can thank Simon West. Well, you know, and I mean, as much as we are going to be praising this film and as much fun as I have with it, you know, regardless of which viewing it is, I do have some very, very minor quibbles. And those happen to be in terms of the writing, which we, you know, will be getting to. Um, But, you know, let's just say real quick, I mean, we'll just establish, um, I guess the film was shot over the course of 14 weeks in a combination of Bulgaria, of course. I mean, that's where the offices of Millennium Films are located. So um, I think a good chunk of it was in Bulgaria, uh, China, and New Orleans. And the film, I mean, and I said this with the first one, but I mean, it is even more so here. And I think think this is one of the things that a uh, a lot of viewers and a lot of fans really, really loved and then others almost kind of felt as a bit of an insult. I'm curious where you stand on it. But the film, once again, even more so now, is meta, okay? I mean, and they even, the the film even stops multiple times, two times in the film. I was going to play those clips here in in this conversation, but the film actually stops to crack a joke about Gunnar Jensen's, this is Dolph Lundgren's character, the film stops to crack jokes about uh, Dolph Lundgren's past, which they incorporate into Gunnar Jensen's story. So it's kind of like, all right, what are they doing? I mean, is this a movie or is this just, you know, a, you know, a week in the life of all these big tough guys? I mean, I, I don't know where you stand on the, on the meta nature of this film. Because the first film delivered something more akin to a low budget actioner that just happened to have uh, several of my favorite action stars in it. I was okay with the second one delivering more on the promise of you want to see all of these uh, heroes together. Uh, they're going to have a good time. You're going to have a good time. Um, try not to think too hard about it. Uh, so I, and, and I guess I'm fine with it. It could be, I, I understand the, uh, the issues people have 
with that, but I'm, I'm absolutely for it. I'm kind of for the ride because when you think about it, you look at, um, like I still do not understand this plot at all. No. I've watched this movie <laughs> six, seven <laughs> times. I do not understand anything in it. I don't understand, uh, why Bruce Willis is angry. Cause as far as I can tell, they did exactly what he wanted them to do. In the first one, he literally tells them, I want him dead. And then he's mad that he killed him. I'm like, what is going on? So I don't know. Um, but whatever. I, I enjoy it. Um, I can tell it's kind of cobbled together from a different script. But the things I came for, which were the one-liners, the huge body count, uh, the just seeing these guys together in the same frame, in the same movie, that's all there. So I'm pretty happy. Well, you know, and I'm so glad you said it as well, because as much fun as I do have with this film, I mean, because again, the gimmick of the film is having all of these guys from the eighties and the nineties occupying the the same space in the film. I mean, that, that is the story right there. And I think kind of like with the first one, um, once again, Sylvester Stallone and team is pretty much almost writing a script together on the fly, you know, once they get everybody together. And so to me, the writing in the film almost feels a little elementary in a sense. Okay. Because, and I don't know if you felt this, but there, there was a part of me that just wanted a little bit more effort in terms of the script. And I, and I don't think what I'm asking for is too much, but I mean, in the end, Jean-Claude Van Damme, I mean, come on, his name is Jean Villain. Oh, excuse me. Jean Villon. I mean, they, they <laughs> didn't even bother giving him more of a name. I mean, they, they literally named their character villain, villain or villain, however you want to say it. And not only that, but his big goal in the film is essentially world domination by means of plutonium. How many times have we seen this in films? It's almost like they just cribbed from, you know, the standard action blueprint 101 and are just putting that into the film, which, okay. If you're going in and you're expecting that and you're okay with that, fine. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, couldn't they come up with something with a little more meat to it here? Well, so I, what I think they're doing with, uh, well, first off, Milan, his name, I think, is a, a, a callback from, to Lamer's Rob. But uh, the what, what I think that Van Damme's character is doing is, I think he's more interested in causing a kind of chaos by letting all of that nuclear material go to whomever. He has a conversation with Scott Atkins earlier at one point in the movie where he just says, imagine what this will do to tip, tip the balance of power in the world. It's going to be very interesting. So I think he just wants that chaos. And so I think the idea of the movie is that Stallone's crew are supposed to be so wild that they're going to cause chaos to Van Damme's chaos and but their chaos is better because as they even have the line where they're going to crash the plane through the cave and Couture screams uh, chaos and <laughs> I think that's I think that's kind of the idea it's just the it's not so much that it's elementary although it kind of is I think it's more that it's just not baked long enough. Like if they would have had more time or spent more time on this idea, this script, then it would have worked. But it just, uh, instead it's just kind of a, a cameo ride 
You're just yeah. kind of here to see these stars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, the, the main plot of this film, it, it, it's, it's, it's fairly simple. I mean, it's basically on its surface, a revenge story, yeah. which is, <clears throat> which is standard fare for an action film. Okay. We're basically, okay. The Expendables team is joined by a, is joined uh, with a new member of the team. He's an expert sniper named Billy. Okay. Uh, played by Liam Hemsworth. Gee, I wonder if his character is going to make it through the film. Um, <laughs> and on what seems to be a relatively uh, simple mission, the team is ambushed by a rival mercenary team led by uh, led by Jean Claude's character, Villan. And so, what happens is Villan kills Billy, which sets the team off on a quest to not only avenge their falling teammate, but to stop Villan from terrorizing the world with an arsenal of plutonium. And I guess my, my biggest issue with the film, my, my number one quibble with the film, and I don't know where you stand with it, is pretty much the entire inclusion of Liam Hemsworth character, Billy. Because this this character, he's really nothing more than a walking, talking plot device. And I have an idea, and I don't know where you stand on this or not, but I had the idea, okay, look, Jet Li's character is barely even in the film, if, if at all, I mean, for that matter. Yeah. And so... I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, why not just kill off Jet Li's character, considering he's in the film so little? And I think his character's death would certainly have given the team a real drive and a real motivation to go after the Villan character. Now, obviously, they couldn't do this because, I mean, the, this film is huge business in China, so they can't they can't kill off uh, Jet Li's character. But then I also had the idea, okay, what they could have done is what if they had Jet Li's character, he's kidnapped off screen, for example, right? He's kidnapped off screen. And so the Expendables, they have to, they band together to go and get their uh, get their teammate back. And then so what they could have done is they could have then filmed his scenes at the end to where once they free Jet Li, Jet Li joins the team and, you know what I mean? And then a big war erupts. And I don't know how you feel about any of those many points I just mentioned, but that's my huge issue with it. Well, I think that the original, uh, when it was being shopped around, the original idea was that uh, it was going to be Tool, Mickey Rourke from the first film, who dies, and it was a revenge mission on that uh, for him. And that obviously changed at some point. I don't know if Mickey Rourke, um, who doesn't appear in this one, just couldn't work it into his schedule or wasn't interested. I have no idea. But then uh, I, there's also that cynical part where it's pretty clear by throwing Liam Hemsworth in there, they're trying to market it a little bit towards the younger audience. Right. <laughs> Although I can't imagine, because I think it's about 40 minutes in when he dies, and there's still like an hour to go after that. And um, I, don't, I can't imagine uh, anybody who showed up for Liam Hemsworth is happy that they're yeah. sitting for an hour after the guy they came for is dead. But I don't know. Um, maybe if they if they worked in Jet Li like that, it would have worked. Uh, I like I like Jet Li a lot, and uh, his presence is mostly missed for this movie. So uh, I, I think, though, despite the uh, the China audience uh, a variable, it would have been definitely more tonally uh, consistent, workable for him to be the guy. So I agree there. Well, okay, I mean, the film the film opens with a bang, literally, 
where <laughs> uh, the team is in Nepal rescuing two hostages, um, Dr. Zhao and Arnold Schwarzenegger's character Trench. And kind of like what we've been saying about Jet Li's inclusion in the film, um, you know, <laughs> the only reason why I think Dr. Dr. Zhao is in this film is, again, to kind of service Jet Li in his, uh, in his schedule and obviously that Chinese audience, because literally once they get Dr. Zhao and they, you know, they get him on the plane, Jet Li pretty much grabs this hostage and is like, all right guys, see you later. And he literally dips out the rest of the movie. Yeah. Well, it's just, it is funny, but uh, I, I gotta say, you know, since we're, we're talking about that opening, that opening, it's awesome. Uh, so I should tell you, so the ending of the first film I thought was amazing. That move, that whole ending is, is a great action sequence. The beginning of this movie is better than the ending of the first film. Oh yeah, the tanks that they're driving, those like oh, just completely amazing. Oh yeah, well, and I mean, I, I don't know if you felt this way or not, but as I was watching this, the, the thing that I think we missed out on is: can you imagine if they put out? I mean, if this film came out, say, in the early to mid nineties. And they put out a line of action figures based on this franchise. That would have been cool as well. Uh, you know, I mean, just just imagine. In addition to the Lee Christmas character coming with like a knife pack, imagine <laughs> imagine the vehicles that would have been released. I mean, the tanks labeled with bad attitude on the side. Yeah, I mean, that would have been pretty cool. And then, I mean, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but the motorcycle that is attached to the back. Yeah, yeah. The, which. Oddly enough, serves absolutely no purpose other than being used as a uh, as a tool to launch an explosion. They don't use that motorcycle for anything. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it is total total GI Joe. So it, it absolutely would have made uh, everyone want it back in the day. I, you know, we were already marketed, you know, aliens and Terminator toys and, and whatnot. This. Would have fit right in. Plus, it would have been the probably the only time where the toys match something that you see in the movies. Well, I mean, okay, so I mean, you already kind of touched upon it, but uh, Bruce Willis's character um, he returns once again. He plays the CIA operative character named Church, and he returns this time in the film. He assigns uh, Stallone's Barney Ross character and the Expendables team on a mission to retrieve. And I, I'm so glad that I'm not the only person who gets a little lost in the plot, but it's basically he sends them to retrieve a, uh, a hard drive of sorts from a downed airplane. Okay. Because the hard drive contains the location of uh, five tons of plutonium, basically. So they go to, uh, to, to retrieve this item. They don't really know what it is, but obviously if church is sending them, it's of grave importance. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's team has arrived first. And not only do they strong arm the Expendables into giving up the hard drive, but this sets in the entire crux and conflict of the film. But uh, Valon kills Billy in a most savage way by roundhouse kicking a knife into him. Um, what are your thoughts on this entire uh, on this on, on these entire developments and scenes? Well, that entire sequence is, is fantastic. Uh, I love, first off, uh, they do this thing, they, they slowly increase the fog of the scene yes. until they, they're just walking through like a field of fog and then Van Damme just kind of 
comes out of it. He has this gold-plated pistol. Um, fantastic. But then Van Damme, um, along with everybody else in the movie, everybody kind of gets these monologues. And Van Damme gives this great monologue. And he does this. Uh, I just love how he uses his accent for maximum villain effect. Oh, his delivery is incredible. And he's gotten yeah. he's gotten shit over the years for oh, yeah. you know, his line delivery. But it works so well. When he says, uh, uh, do not challenge me, but the way he – I yeah. mean, you notice that? I was gonna, do not I was challenge gonna, me. <laughs> I was going to say it. I was like, do not challenge me. I love it. <laughs> and when he says that, when he shows his tattoo and he says, the goat, <laughs> the pet of Satan. I can't even do it. It's just – but it's – I love it. Everything he says – and that entire sequence is fantastic. Hey, everybody, stay calm. We'll be done soon, and then we'll be on our way. Bring me that knife. What's this symbol? A like symbol. This is the symbol of the goat, the pet of Satan. They say, you have a case that belongs to me. Does it? Yes, like your lives. It was lost, he doesn't have it. Last time the case, you will force me to cut. It's hard out. Do it, you piece of shit. Wait! Respect is everything. Without respect, we're just people. Common shitty people. I'm sorry, sir. It's not your fault. Now what? We're both fighting men. And I respect that. And fighting men, they don't deserve to be killed like sheep. But... Respect must be taught. Lie down with your face on the ground until we leave. Don't challenge me. Get down. And then, I, I, and here's where the meta aspect works so good. His right-hand man is Scott Atkins, who yes. at this point, uh, he'd kind of become a, a name for himself a little bit at this point, but he been in a few Van Damme movies. And so how cool was it to just bring in Scott Atkins? I don't know if you're a huge Scott Atkins fan, but I oh, am. most definitely. And so it was just oh like, oh my God, he's here and he's doing the Russian accent. And uh <laughs> it was like he's doing the Boyka accent. He's yeah, he's playing Boyka. I mean yeah. that's what he's doing. He's playing Boyka. Well, I mean, look, you you already said it, so I'll echo it. What an entrance. Oh, yeah. Van Damme's character. I mean, you, you, I mean, the fog, like you said, it's awesome. Um, his attire that he's wearing. I mean, you can tell that Van Damme is not only relishing 
the, the this scene here because it collectively what would you say Van Damme is in this film? Maybe 12 minutes, maybe? Uh, well, I want to say, I want to be generous and say 15, but uh, <laughs> you might be closer. But, man, I mean, he, he sucks the air out of the room in every scene that he is in. I would argue, actually, more than any of the other stars in the film. I mean, more, I mean, and look, this is the Dolph Lundgren podcast, but I would, I mean, because, and I'll be, I'll be getting to Dolph Lundgren's scenes, but I feel like Dolph Lundgren kind of evolved into a goof. For this film, he kind of became like yeah, a comic yeah. relief. But Van Damme, I mean, you can tell he's just loving this scene. I mean, in his attire, I wrote this down, but he's wearing this black trench coat, these leather gloves, and these sunglasses. And, I mean, you you mentioned that the, the tattoo that he points, and even the uh, the gestures that he makes in the film. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's awesome when he when he picks up that knife and how he kind of he kind of dashes the air with the knife. And then at the end, when he has the, uh, the final fight with uh, Stallone before he drops his weapons, he kind of does this, you know, this move with his arms and everything. I mean, it is so theatrical, but I got to admit so badass. I mean, Yeah. Well, I, I just can't imagine coming to, to, to this kind of movie and not being prepared like that. And you can tell, so a lot of people don't know this, but Van Damme is clearly a cinephile. And uh, if you've heard him talk, he'll talk about the movies he grew up with, the movies he loves. He loves a lot of old movies. He loves Stallone movies. And he, when he came to America, the, one of the first things he did is he broke onto Stallone's property. And Stallone had to give him a ride to a bus station bus station because he didn't want to call the cops. Um, he was like, okay. But Van Damme... Uh, Never forgot it, but he was always talking. We should be in. I want to be in Rocky movie with you, and all this kind of stuff back, you know, when he was an excited kid. And now he shows up, and Stallone had written a this long kind of CGI heavy fight where they get in a helicopter and it's flying all over the place. And Van Damme said, "No, people want to see me. Want to see us fight." And yeah. the whole entire ending fight is actually, um, you know, we're skipping to the end a little bit, but it's but it was basically created by Van Damme over the course of a day. Yeah, I, I, You can tell. I mean, and I was, I was going to be getting to that as well. I mean, I, I do wish the final fight was a little bit longer. The final fight between, um, you know, Sylvester Stallone, obviously, and Van Damme. I do wish it was a little bit longer, but I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, when, when they first hinted at it and they showed a quick clip of it in the trailer, I was like, Oh man. I mean, because there's, there's just something so iconic about seeing, I mean, because when you think about it, okay, what is Van Damme known for? He's known for the for the jump kick, right? Mm-hmm. The jumping, spinning kick. And when you see Van Damme do that kick to Stallone, it's like, oh, th- this is what I want. Forget the fact that his his villain is, you know, going for plutonium. All right, whatever. I mean, but that right there is, uh, I mean, you, you got your money's worth if that's what you came for. Yeah, well, you know, and, and not to jump even further ahead, but that's that was the appeal when you're watching. There's a moment, very briefly, in the third film, when Van De- or when Mel Gibson and Stallone are fighting, where your brain has that that click where you go, "This is Martin Riggs versus Rambo." Yes, yeah, and uh, and and this is the same thing when you're watching this fight. Uh, and and Van Dam does that kick, and then Stallone's like coming right up, and he's like going back down. But you know, his like all his his things he says, "I want my money's worth," and uh, <laughs> that's exactly how, that tells me right there that he knows, and whoever wrote that line knows 
this is what the audience came for, which, mm-hmm. you know, brings you to the, this movie's greatest strength and also its greatest weakness is Stallone. And I feel like Stallone didn't know to let those scenes breathe a little bit more, giving them the room they deserved. Yeah. The same with Scott Atkins versus Statham, you know, uh, right before that you've got basically these two Brits that everyone wants to see go to town on each other. And still to this day, hasn't, they almost did it back in uh, Statham made the, his probably his best movie called safe. And, Atkins was going to be in that as the main heavy and uh, scheduling conflicts or whatever um, prevented that from happening um, would have been great, but still we've never had a rematch that, that was worth it. So we have to make do with this and it's pretty good, mm-hmm. but because Stallone decided oh, I'm going to have this tennis player have a fight scene and, you know, he, he does, he's not taking his own movies that seriously. That's the problem with the meta angle is that it really just kind of gets away in the way of a lot of things. And so I, you know, once you go back to that, uh, I get why people can be upset, but there is, there's still, I don't know, there's enough spectacle. I mean, I'm trying to make excuses, but also, you know, I understand the criticisms. Why haven't Jason Statham and Scott Atkins done a movie yet together? I mean, cause they both, I mean, if you look at where both actors are currently in terms of their career and status, now is the time to do it. Now is the time where it makes perfect sense for them to do it. I mean, not saying that, uh, not saying that Stalotham, st- excuse me, Stalotham, <laughs> not, not, not saying that, uh, Jason Statham is not as, uh, big as he once was, but I mean, I feel like now he could certainly do a team up with Scott Atkins much more than he would have been able to do 10, 12 years ago. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't know what the deal is. Um, Atkins is, you know, I think people still view him very much. And there's there's this differentiation between DTV and theatrical. Um, and plus, Statham just had that. He had a, basically a two-year break where he didn't make anything. And uh, Wrath of Man's the first thing that's come out that he's done in a long time. So, you know, I hope that that doesn't mean we've missed an opportunity here. But I don't know why they haven't done it. Yeah. Um, they absolutely should, especially because I think they're, you know, we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but their, their confrontation during the Van Damme versus the Expendables moment coming out of the fog is very good. I think that Atkins comes close to delivering the, uh, or going, getting to the same level, the same tier as Van Damme in that scene, because Atkins is very good at staring down Statham in that scene. Oh, he's frightening in that scene. I mean, and, and it's, it's just such a simple scene, but I'm of the, I'm of the, uh, of the thought process that I guess sometimes the simplest things are the, are the most memorable in many of these films. And they, Atkins is his character. He what what is his character's name? Is it Hector? Uh, he Hector confronts Lee Christmas over picking up the hard drive. Yeah. He just says, "Pick it up and hand it to me." Like 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 a parent scolding a child. You know what I mean? But yeah. is the intensity there is is awesome. Let me have it.
Hey. Talking to me? Pick it up. Hand it to me. Get it yourself. What was that? You are. Now pick it up. Hand it to me nicely. Or you'll get what he got. Do it, Lee. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to ask Amy because I mean, it would, I think it would be uh, uh, foolish of us to not break down each of the stars and their contributions uh, uh, to this film. And so, okay. and and we can and we can just go down the the list pretty quick. But let's go to the let's go to. In my opinion, is I'm going to save Dolph for the end. But okay. let, let's look at Schwarzenegger here and. I don't know where you stand on Arnold's uh, inclusion in this particular film, but I will say right now, in my opinion, I don't think that Arnold is at his best here in this particular film. And the reason why I'm saying that is because every line out of his mouth is a callback to one of his favorite, uh, one of his favorite, his famous lines, right? One of his previous movies, which is fine. I think if this was a skit on say, uh, Mad TV or Saturday Night Live or whatever, but going along with what I echoed earlier when I discussed Expendables 1, I think, okay, look, anyone, anyone who goes into an Expendables movie is already aware of these action icons and their resumes. So I don't know if Arnold saying, I'll be back or I'm back is really necessary. It, to me, it almost felt tired. Uh, I mean, that's a, it's a hard line to walk. I... And I'm kind of for it in a way. I think when he's doing his one-liners, it's better than when he's doing uh, the other dialogue in the movie. <laughs> because, you know, him just walking up and tearing the door off the smart car <laughs> is one of my favorite moments in the movie. Yeah. And, uh, and him also saying, uh, my shoe is bigger than this car. It's great. However, you know, there's a weird moment towards the end where he... I think he says uh, it's not over yet just alone. And it's just, it's a very awkward delivery. And uh, I don't know. I think, you know, he, it's clear he's, he's not used to the camera anymore. It's very strange or maybe it's just weird direction, but I don't know. Uh, it is, it is odd. He's, he's definitely in a, in one liner mode. He's, but he's not as fun as say like the running man, obviously. Yeah. But I'm okay with it because of what the rest of the movie is. Like I said before, the rest of the movie is so meta that I'm, that I just kind of let it go because that's why I'm here. You know, if you don't watch Expendables two, if you haven't seen, (laughs) you know, two or three of these guys, other movies each, well, speaking of the the meta nature, I mean that's an awesome segue there, Brenton, because uh, Chuck Norris shows up in a really cool scene. I mean, this is another character who gets a really a really fun entrance where he's walking through the aftermath and smoke and and slow motion, and his character is uh, his name is Booker, and he's this lone wolf mercenary, which is obviously you know wink wink you know poking fun at uh, his character is Lone Wolf McQuaid. I'm assuming right. And so, so what his his introduction in the film is basically the result of where the team is ambushed by Valon's team, and the Expendables are outgunned and outnumbered. But Booker comes in and helps rescue the team. He swoops in, 
helps out the Expendables, but then quickly disappears because he likes to work alone. But this this definitely allows for a couple uh, Chuck Norris uh, jokes at <laughs> at yeah. his expense. So, well, if you come into this and you don't understand that this is a uh, uh, a meta movie, that is the scene that will. It will make her break it for you. Oh, yeah. Chuck Norris shows up. He literally walks in slow motion through the smoke and fire. You've got him in sunglasses and a hat with a wolf on it. It's just <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. And then he he actually says one of the, you know, cultural artifacts of the early 2010s, which is the Chuck Norris jokes. He actually gets to say one of them. And it's uh, it's kind of amazing. And uh, I love it. I love that whole thing. But man, if you're not into this, this will this is where you walk away because <laughs> it will kill the movie for you. Don't freak out. Small world, huh, Barney? Booker? Rumor had that you were dead. Yeah, I heard that too. So how's life treating you? Been better. You did all this? I fly solo, I thought you knew that. Yeah, I heard it, but I didn't buy it. Well, now you do. This your team? Yeah. Gunner, Toll Road, Hail Caesar, and Maggie. Booker. You're the one people call the lone wolf? I've been called that, but I have no other. Not that much. I heard another rumor that you were bitten by a king cobra. Yeah, I was. But after five days of agonizing pain, the cobra died. <laughs> hey, Booker, great to see you. As a movie fan, I will say the one issue, the only issue I have with all that, and including a, a scene later on when Chuck Norris shows up at the airport, they use a little bit of the score from Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I feel like if you're going to do a score like that, just take the Lone Wolf McQuaid's score. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine the rights to that would have been too difficult to get. I, I mean, maybe not. It's hard to say because, you know, the whole reason Chuck Norris made Walker, Texas Rangers, because he couldn't get keep the rights to Lone Wolf McQuaid. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which is also funny. Uh, his character is Booker, which may or may not be a reference to the character named Booker that he played in Good Guys Wear Black. So that he created. How did put that together? How did I not put that together? Because I actually just watched Good Guys Wear Black a couple months back. Um, yeah, so I think it it might even be the same character, but it's hard to say. Well, they do something, if we look at Jason Statham's character, they do something really, really interesting with his character that I don't know how you felt, but I absolutely loved, okay? So what they do with his character is he pretty much gets sidelined in the entire 
second act of the film. And I guess, I mean, from what I read online, I don't know how much truth there is to this, but I guess this was uh, due to some scheduling conflicts. He had some other films lined up. But, you know, for me at least, I I kind of welcomed this, and I kind of like this, because if you look at this compared to the first Expendables film, the second act of the first Expendables film is pretty much the um, Stallone and Statham show. Yeah, And so by him sure. leaving in the second act for the second one, what that did is that gave the other characters a chance to breathe, which, which I loved. I thought that was awesome. Oh yeah. Well, totally. Uh, that, that's something, you know, making an inverse of the first one, I guess it works better that way, especially because, um, the other characters really need that room. And when you have somebody, especially at this time and and future audiences are, are never going to really know this, but Statham was, was really the biggest guy in the cast at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Stallone was a, a legacy, but Statham was still hot. So letting him leave for a while, letting everybody else have their moment to shine, um, is probably a wise move. And I think Simon West really works it. Um, sometimes to characters detriment, I think, like you said, Lundgren is sort of a, becomes a comic relief where he was a serious threat in the first film. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in watching this again, um, Statham's character, he literally leaves the movie and it's, it, it's like one line in passing that if you're, if you're not paying attention, you completely miss it. But yeah, he leaves to go, Retrieve weapons, basically. Where these yeah. weapons are, I think I missed that. But he just leave. I need to go get some weapons. I'll be back. You know what I mean? It's kind of like he went to the store, the weapons depot, and he's going to come back. Yeah, I mean, he's he, they leave him with the, a truck by the plane, I think. And then he, I, I mean, I, I just watched this the other day, but I'm already forgetting. And I think there's like a scene with him on walkie-talkies loading crates up onto the truck and then the rest of it's just him driving like they just kind of intercut it with him driving around yeah (laughs) so it's like all right i guess everyone went into combat without their weapons all right (laughs) yeah well okay so all right i mean we we gotta mention them i i don't know what your thoughts and feelings were on them but um terry cruz and randy couture what are are your thoughts how do you think they're they're serviced in the uh, in the second outing compared to the first uh, I like them better here around uh, for the most part. There are things that uh, that I miss. Uh, I think Terry Crews in particular is is quite a shiny light in the first movie. Uh, towards the end, you know, he gets the great uh, remember the shit at Christmas line and he you know has the AA-12 shotgun and and whatnot. But uh, Couture, you know, uh, I, I hate to be that guy, but it's like, and, and I kind of echoing stuff from your, that first Expendables podcast, but you know, you could probably drop him and not miss much. Well, at least in, in the first Expendables movie, he at least gets that fight with Stone Cold. With, yes. With Steve Austin. He at least gets that. Here, he's given nothing. I mean, he literally is given nothing. I mean, I don't even, I, I mean, to my, in watching this again, I don't think he gets more than what 10 lines in this film. If that even, I mean, it really, you almost forget that he's even on, on the screen. Yeah. And, and it's a shame, you know, when he does fight, um, he, there, the, there's a scene where they all fight the, the invading force at the village. And, uh, those, those little bits where he's throwing guys up against the, 
the wall and all that. I mean, that stuff's great, but he does, you know, dick all for <laughs> the running time of this movie. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, him and him and uh, Terry Crews might as well be one character called Terry Crews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was, I, I guess, uh, what Randy Couture's character is toll road. Uh, Terry Crews is hail Caesar. So maybe they just could have put the two together. Toll Caesar. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, since they're not doing anything individually, um, you might as well have just made it one character. And, and once again, you know, I'm going to bring up, it's weird and it's kind of sad that Jet Li's not uh, added flavor to, especially the ending scene. Cause he provides things that the other characters don't. He has a way about him. Uh, even the way he speaks, you know, I, I remember in the uh, commentary for the first film, uh, people, he still don't talk about how people wanted him to dub Jet Li. And I was like, that's a, that'd be a shame. Yeah. Cause Jet Li's actually really funny. And I actually like, I missed him. Uh, you know, I think he's only in the first what, 15 minutes of this movie. Then he's gone. I, I would I say, him. yeah, I was going to say less than 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's let's look at uh, let's look at Mr. Lundgren. All right, so Lundgren comes back as the as the always dependable Gunnar Jensen, and what's what's welcome here, but also an interesting shift, I, I guess, in, in terms of tone, we can say, is okay. Whereas the first one, uh, Gunnar Jensen, he was the turncoat. He was the he was the one who you know, turned on the expendables, but then was, you know, graciously allowed back in the fold here. He is, uh, he's more of a good guy once again, which is awesome. He gets more screen. He gets more screen time this go around, but what they do is his character becomes the comic relief and he's almost treated actually not even almost. He is, he's the goof of the team. I mean, he's the goofball. He's the one who, who, uh, who the team is just kind of like, Oh there's Gunner there. He's off going to make a bomb, you know, wacky Gunner, you know. I mean, and on one hand, it's kind of cool because, okay, Dolph Lundgren, we've talked about this before, but he has a, a he has a wonderful uh, uh, comedic nature about him that sadly doesn't, uh, up until this point, really hadn't been seen a heck of a lot on film. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, you know, he was he was the wild card, if you will, of the team in the first one. And here they're treating him as... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I say comic relief, but I mean, that, that's what he is. He's, he's kind of the, the, the weirdo of the team. Yeah. They play him as a joke. They do a thing, which I'm not sure how I feel about. So, you know, you know, enough Lundgren movies, you know, the Lundgren stare mm-hmm. where he kind of like tips his chin down and stares up at you. They play that as a joke. So, like, think about when they're at the bar earlier in the movie, and he writes uh, Einstein's theory of spatial relativity on the Mm -hmm. napkin, and then improved it, blows his nose into it, which is kind of a funny joke. Got a pen? Hey, you got anything that doesn't have skulls on it? Matter of fact, I don't. Einstein's theory of special relativity. Only I made it better. (laughs) 
believe it or not, before Gunner became chemically unbalanced, she went to MIT and had a master's degree in chemical engineering. The city had actually had a brain, you believe that? What happened? He quit to be a bouncer. I wanted to get close to this girl who danced at this disco. And I can't believe she dumped you. Wouldn't you? I would, yeah. <laughs> Um, his look that he's giving, that's his classic look, but they're playing it as a, as a joke. And I feel like that's a mistake. It reminds me of, uh, I was watching a thing about, it was like a, I don't know, it was like a documentary about the making of the Friday 13th movies where they said, um, you can make jokes, but Jason can't be the joke. And I kind of feel that way about, um, about Lundgren's character. I'm like, don't make him the joke, make something he does the joke not like his presence as a joke because he should still be like scary because you you know he gives that look so well but i think stallone um i don't think he takes any of it seriously and again that goes back to what i was saying where i think the the reason these movies are made is stallone he's able to to tie all this these ends together so he's its greatest strength but he's also its greatest weakness because he knows Dolph Lundgren and he I think they just have fun time and they just kind of laugh and whatever but like they they don't I'm not sure they're aware of where the audience is at at all times well I guess in the original cut of the film Lundgren did get a scene where and and I have not been able to find this particular scene but there is a deleted scene where he is in a bar and he starts drunkenly singing a song in Swedish I guess and on one hand, I, personally, I would love to see it for my completest nature. But in the end, in this particular film, I think I'm okay with... I, I guess I'd rather have the scene where he's clumsily putting together a bomb that doesn't work. You know, because there's a scene where they're in the cave and he tries to put yeah. together this bomb that fizzles out. I would rather see that in this particular film than a scene where he is drunkenly singing a song that we don't understand. Yeah, well, they... they... You know, maybe that's a callback to his Red Scorpion subterfuge. Yeah, but I don't know if um, if that would have worked at all. Because right now, it kind of works as like you know the Chekhov's gun thing. They set up that he's a chemical engineer earlier in the movie, and then later on, oh, here he is. He's going to make a bomb, and then it doesn't work. And so the idea is that he's a joke. But Schwarzenegger, who brute forces his way in through the uh, outside using a digger machine, is the real deal. And I don't know how I feel so much about that aspect when I think about it, um, narratively speaking. Hey, it ain't over yet, kids. I got a plan. Everybody calm down. Phosphate rock. What's he doing? Probably making a bomb. You serious? Ask him. What you doing, Gunner? Making a bomb. You mind? Maniac with brains. Scary. Phosphate rock. It's got a density of 1.852, melting point 44.2 centigrade. Guys, I want some gunpowder fast. Do it. The man's a chemical engineer, right? And a food bite scholar. Pour it in the pipe. Big man might be onto something. What do you think? Probably not. Need some help with that? Let's go. Here, go blow yourself up. Lighter? I want that back. 
Better get back. This is gonna be loud. <laughs> get back. Okay. All right, let's go. All right. Better turn around unless you want your head blown out. Better cover your ears. Come on. Phosphorus must have been down. Yeah, right. Or you suck. There's that. Don't cry, Gunner. You almost had an idea. Well, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, we already kind of touched upon it as well, but the scene where Barney Ross deliberately crashes the Expendables plane is great. The um, the final shootout that occurs in the airplane hangar where Valon and his team are trying to escape, that is awesome because, once again, Booker comes back to assist, as does Trench and Arnold, um, or excuse me, as does Arnold's character Trench as well as uh, Bruce Willis's character Church. All the names... After a while, Brenton, I don't know about you, but all the names just kind of <laughs> come together. I don't know if I should call him Church or Arnold or Bruce or, you know, whatever it may be. But, you know, I, I really like the final uh, the final shootout that, that's, uh, that, that's on screen here. Yeah, well, I, I'm a huge fan, too, even though I've seen it enough times to know that they're reusing a lot of footage and just changing angles and framing. But, man... I just I love it. There, there's a great shot where I'm trying to remember exactly how it works. I think they have like three panes of glass. It's kind of um, gray shaded glass, and then the and uh, Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone are firing their guns through it, and then it just falls down. That is a great shot. I love it. Yeah. Well, and we we already talked about it, but I wanted to reiterate it again okay the final fight between stallone and jean-claude van damme is pretty cool i mean sadly like many of the fights in the film it doesn't go as long as it should which i think you know and we we kind of i think keep coming back to this i think is one of the issues with the film that is almost kind of a miracle that you know it, it got pulled off but you know with a film like this okay you have all of these action stars in this film well, of course, not everyone's schedule is going to align 100%. So they had to coordinate schedules and edit certain things together. And I imagine they had to shoot some scenes very, very quick. And so as much as I like the fight between Stallone and, and uh, Van Damme at the end, it almost feels as if it was rehearsed the day before and then filmed the very next morning. Lots of standard fare from both. I mean, pretty much what you would expect from Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme are on display in this fight scene where, you know, Stallone, he's pretty much doing the body shots. I think in every every Stallone fight scene, he always does those those body punches, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like punches to the stomach. I mean, it reminded me of his fight scene with uh, uh, 
Wesley Snipes and Demolition Man. Yeah, yeah. And what's and I don't know if you picked up on this well. I bet you did. But did you notice how they recycle Van Damme's kick? They yeah. Just replay it. They they the other thing is that they do there is when Stallone lands, they do a frame shake instead of like, you know, obviously it didn't actually like he didn't actually fall. So they just shake the frame in the, yeah. it's like in, in editing in post, they put in a little frame shake, but man, you know, this is as close as we're going to get. Right. You know, you're never going to get Van Damme versus Stallone again. So yeah. I, I took what I could get and I loved it. And that's why, uh, you know, Van Damme shouting, I want my money's worth is, it, you know, it really just, it hits me. I'm like, yeah. And you know what? Is is as uh, as cheap as it can be at times. This is as good as I'm gonna ever get, and so I'm actually I'm pretty happy about most of it. <laughs> uh, and and you know what? Van Dam sells so much. He he's probably him and Stallone both actually are some of the are a couple of the best. Um, receivers of damage. You ever watch them in a movie? They're like getting hit and they're taking their their licks, and they look like that it hurts. They're like the best at it, and that's mm-hmm. what really makes fights work. And they do a pretty damn good job. So I'm okay with it. Oh, well, I was gonna say, there's this weird moment. So you know, Van Dam throws the guns off to the side. I think that there was probably a scene where they dismantle their guns in front of each other. Because if you notice when Van Damme picks up the knife before the end here, before he's like asking what Billy's name was, he's going, you know, or Christopher Hemsworth, he's saying, what, what was his name? I can't remember what you called him. And, but he picks up that knife. There's dismantled guns, both Stallone's gun and his uh, gold plated gun. They're dismantled. They're laying right there in front of the knife. So I think there was something there where they took their guns apart as maybe a sign of uh, mutual respect, and I think they just cut it out. Well, that, I mean, uh, man, uh, talk about another excellent segue, because that's one thing that I really appreciated about the final fight as well, is the mutual respect. And what is yes. really, considering considering uh, Jean-Claude's character is so sadistic, and he does get a really nasty death. I mean, I remember watching this with my wife for the first time. She's like, good God, like that's pretty vicious on <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's behalf. But what's really kind of cool about it is you have, you have Van Damme in this scene. He knows he lost the fight. He knows he's going to die and how Stallone pretty much says, come on, stand up and be a man about it. And Van Damme does, you know what I yeah. mean? It's, it's kind of like he knew, all right, look, he bested me. And I'm going to die like a man. And just how how Barney Ross, uh, Stallone's character, throws that chain around Villan's neck. And then it's almost kind of like a Mortal Kombat get over here moment, yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> he brings him over. It is it is so vicious, but uh, but, but a really cool villain death. Uh, it's it's fantastic and incredibly brutal, made more brutal so by the fact that he off-screen cuts his head off and throws it in a hemp sack. <laughs> You're like, oh my god. But it has uh, one of my, probably my favorite Bruce Willis bit in the movie where he's like, you know, he sees it and he's just like, oh, you know. <laughs> just Bruce Willis's reaction to the head in the bag is great. Well, and the, the final shots of the film, um, 
the Expendables leave in this old loner plane, which uh, which Church gives to Barney. And there's there's a great joke that they play in the uh, that they play in the trailer as well, where you know where Stallone says, "Man, that plane looks old," and both both you know Bruce Willis and uh, and Schwarzenegger say, "Ah, we all are." You know what I mean? You know, wink, wink. Um, yeah, is it? Uh, I think they say. Uh, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I just watched. Indiana Jones a little bit ago, but I swear they said something about it belongs in a museum. It belongs in a museum. That's it. Yes. They do say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was just me. <laughs> he says we all do. Yeah. And you know, whereas a lot of these films, you, you almost, you pretty much forget about the Billy character after he dies. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, 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 so that's one thing that I appreciated is how the final, the final uh, scenes of the film <laughs> is them on that airplane and they toast to the memory of Billy before the credits roll. And that, that kind of brings you back. Oh yeah. That's why they were on this mission. That's oh, right. why they were here. Well, even more so, you know, they do that. They show, um, they show the, the, the Billy's, I think girlfriend or fiance, and she's in some, you know, spray painted up like lower end area of France. And, uh, they just put a shoe box full of hundred dollar bills at her house you're like, all right, I guess that works. So, but even beyond that, like, you're kind of like, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's why yeah. we're here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to it, but I almost kind of wonder. I mean, obviously, they brought Liam Hemsworth to to bring in the younger crowd, but I would argue, I don't think Liam Hemsworth is as big of a draw as Lionsgate and New Image thought that he would be. But you watch it, and it's kind of like, why couldn't they have just had the the death be okay if it's not going to be Jet Li's character because they need those sales in China why not Randy Couture's character I mean you know, you know what I mean like yeah well this is again uh, you know greatest strength greatest weakness I think Stallone is a, a sentimental fellow and you know he's always been you know you talk to or you see Terry uh, um, Crews talking about the third one where they they shoot him in the third movie and he basically begged Sloan not to kill him off. And yeah. Sloan said, uh, okay. And it's like, wow, okay, well, kill the stakes of your whole movie then, why don't you? <laughs> exactly. But, well, and it's it's so ironic considering, you know, how many years prior he had no problem killing off uh, uh, Apollo Creed, you know, yeah. <laughs> for, well, and you, that gave some stakes. That 80, gave some real. 80s Stallone was a different Stallone, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Uh, man, it, but it's it's almost a bummer. But again, you're not really here for the story. You're not no. really here for these characters. You're um, here for the gimmick of yeah, seeing everyone. The together. gimmick is exactly what it is, and I don't fault it for that. Uh, I I fault viewers for coming in thinking that it's something else just because. Mm-hmm. We knew what it was. It was advertised to us this way. It was saying, you know, let's see all these guys uh, cause some mayhem. It was not, hey, man, we're going to bring in this new kid, and I hope you don't get too attached because we're going to kill him off. No, they didn't advertise it that way to us. We don't care. Even the ending toast when they're in the little plane. It's all the cast. That's all we care about. We care about their camaraderie. We don't care about the new people. Yeah, and and it and it's too bad in a way, you know. It's it's detriment, but it's also I had a hell of a good time, you know. Yeah. I got to see 
like hundreds of people die in this movie. Uh, I got to see Van Damme uh, roundhouse kick a knife into some guy's chest. I got to see Scott Atkins fight Jason Statham. You know, there's just too much that's enjoyable. Like on that, maybe it's a base level, but all the things I wanted to see, I saw. And so I don't care about the narrative reasons for almost any of it. (laughs) I can't imagine what it must have been like for you doing a kill count for this film. Because you must have had to have, right, like a a, a chart open for Stallone, for Schwarzenegger, for Willis, Dolph. So so that was a whole thing. Uh, I should, there there is a story there. Uh, We did a kill count. And it was wild. So we basically split it among different users. Um, Cause I have different guys that do different kill counts and we all work together on this one. And uh, that, which was so some kind of coordinating there, but it was fun and in a way, but it was a lot. Uh, I remember somebody counted Jason Statham's kills. So everybody kills a lot of people, right? Um, so everybody kills dozens. But Jason Statham killed somewhere clo- like a hundred somewhere between 150 and 200 killed people. You know, and that and a lot of it's just in the beginning of the movie. But it was it was uh, something just bringing them all together. Uh, let me if I can pull up my I actually have a I still have the sheet. Uh, yes. Okay, so Statham killed 174. So Stallone killed 72, which makes him uh, number three in the movie behind Chuck Norris, who kills 87, which is one of the most lethal movies that Norris has ever done. Maybe the most lethal. I think it is. And he's only in the film for maybe six minutes. Yeah. (laughs) But this is why it was it was fun. You know, just you watch. I remember watching this in the theaters, and at the time, you know, my brain at the time I was doing all these kill counts, and I think like a few minutes into the movie, I was like, I'm not gonna be able to do this. I, I can't do this. I just like, I just, I had to turn that part of my brain off because it was so wild. I uh, how many people were dying in every scene. I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just gonna enjoy the movie because it was crazy how many people were killed. The only person you could watch um, easily was Scott Atkins. I think he was like less than five people. And you're like, okay, okay, I can watch that. <laughs> well, I mean, you've basically given us your recommendation, but before we uh, before we get to mine, is there is there anything else that uh, that you want to as we close this conversation up? Is there anything else? that you want to say about the film uh, regarding any other performances or, or basically I think the, the film's place in the, uh, in the lexicon of the action genre. What do you think? Well, I think if you're watching all the eighties action stars uh, and that bleed into the nineties, you know, you got Van Damme and stuff in there as well. Uh, And with a little Scott Atkins from the two thousands, this is sort of the ultimate. This is the end kind of, of, of this is as good as it will ever get. This is like the, the ultimate top of the pyramid, all these guys. And I know that the third one got, it's got Wesley Snipes in it and Mel Gibson. 
it's just not as good as this one. This one hits most of the right notes that you need. So there's that. Um, I would ask you, seeing as what they do with Dolph Lundgren, do you think this is a great Lundgren film? You know, I mean, thank you because, okay, so I'll, I'll just get to my recommend now because I basically answer that question. I would say in terms of a recommend, hell yes. Okay. Um, despite some weak humor here and there and some fairly simplistic story beats in some, in some areas, it's easily my favorite of the Expendables films. Okay. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, we've said it, but I'll echo it again. Wow. I mean, he gets an extremely showy role. He's a fantastic villain. I think which is needed for an action film to be successful is you need a really good villain. You know, it, it amps up the action from the first Expendables film. It continues being the love letter to the action films of the 80s and the 90s that we all loved and enjoyed. On a Dolph Lundgren front, it's it's interesting because, you know, the film is awesome. And he's fun to watch in this film mainly because he's really not getting to be a badass as much as you'd expect. He's more or less uh, being a comedian, right? He's, he's getting to exhibit his comedic chops. So I think if anyone wants to see him, um, wants to see him do comedy, then I think you can watch it on that front. But if you're going into this expecting, I mean, I love what you said about the Lundgren stare. Okay. If you're going into this expecting an intimidating, frightening as hell, Andrew Scott or Frank Castle or uh, Nikolai uh, Nikolai Rochenko from Red Scorpion, you're really not going to get this. I feel like in a way, Dolph is pretty much parodying his uh, th- those earlier characters in this particular film, which if that's your cup of tea, if you want to see an actor parody himself and poke fun at his image, then go for it, I think, so... I saw once him do, uh, and I've probably mentioned this before on here, but he did, and it was a, on a French show, he did a version of The Punisher called The Plurinisher. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, it was, you know, it's kind of like an SNL in France. And that, you know, that just means crier. So all he does is cry. So, <laughs> I, you know, saw that. Yes, wa- I saw yeah, that. Yeah. His wife and child died, and he just cries. So, you know, which is funny because I always thought that was what the Thomas Jane version of the Punisher was. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I think he, he has chops. I, you know, I don't know if the movie provides the time for him to really spread his wings there, but I don't know. It's weird. Cause it's like, I don't want him to not be in these movies. No, but I also want him to have more scenes. You know, the, the opening scene in the first Expendables when he says "warning shot" and he blows the guy in half. Yeah, um, that's funny to me, and that is more along the humor that I would like to see him do than uh, you know snoring too loudly or something. Oh God, yeah, I forget. yes, <laughs> like come on, like is, is that the level of humor we're going for here? Is he snores? Like what is yeah. this here? And it's an R-rated movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's just it's you know you're trying to find that balance because uh, I I love what he's doing in that first movie. He is just wild. Um, you, you're genuinely not sure where he stands in the first movie, whereas in this one, you know, it's just kind of silly. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, but it, I guess it works if you've seen the first movie. But there there is something about like I think that what he's doing in that first movie is kind of magical in a way where he he's scary and unstable. And in this one, I don't know if I buy it as much. Yeah. But again, this is a a very meta movie, and so they're they're like, oh man, here's a kind of Grace Jones joke and you Fulbright know, you Scholar kinda, joke. I mean, yeah. the film literally stops. You almost expect Dolph's character to look at the camera and say, "And a Fulbright Scholar," or do that <laughs> do, or do that thing they were doing in the mid two thousands where it just like goes to a different screen. It's like a character profile and it literally yeah. lists his actual accomplishments. Like the rundown. Like, Remember when the rundown did that? At the beginning? Yeah, ex- exactly like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, and I, I, I want to throw it out there right now and just mention it because you said a couple things that, uh, that, that really lean into this, but okay. We talked about how Jean-Claude Van Damme is the best thing about this film. And you also mentioned French humor and how, yeah. French humor may not always um, resonate and land with American audiences. And I'm sure you've seen it, uh, but the trailer dropped for Jean-Claude Van Damme's latest movie. It is a French film that is going to be premiering on Netflix called the, the, what is it? The last mercenary. That's the one. So um, I don't know about you. I'm pretty excited. I think it's really kind of cool to see Van Damme in what looks like a, real legitimate movie that has money behind it. I don't know if the French humor is going to, is going to land and click with American audiences, but it looks pretty cool. It's hard to say. I liked Van Johnson, which was his uh, Amazon show. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. So this could possibly work. Uh, I like Van Damme. um, And I always thought he was incredibly misused. Or, but it was largely his fault, and he's admitted as much. He did, he thought he could make the same movie forever, and then it wasn't until he worked with Ringo Lamb that he understood that he could do different things. And I think I would like to see more of that. Uh, he, he is getting up there in the years, but I would like to see this movie do well, or this show. Is it a show? I don't know. So it's, last a person. it's a movie. It's a movie. Yeah, and I think good, good. judging by judging by Netflix and the way their model, the way they roll out movies, I bet you it's going to get. And I'm, I'm just judging, considering what they've done with some of their previous films. But I bet you it's going to get a pretty sizable rollout where it's going to be on the main interface screen and it's going to get a lot of views and a lot of downloads and everything. But like most of their of their original content films, I'm worried that it's going to get forgotten. And completely wiped from everybody's memory within about two weeks. Well, that is the issue with uh, streaming. We have so much content now that it's just, uh, it's incredible when anything kind of becomes a cultural touchstone. So it's it's hard to say, but it could work out. Yeah. Um, I don't know that, you know, Van Damme's, audience has sort of diminished over the years, but this could work. Yeah. He did a movie some years ago. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was called Pound of Flesh, but anyways, he did, uh, there was a great trailer where he's, the, the, he's, he's confronting the, his foes in a car and he kicks 
one kicks at them through the window and they try and drive away and he ends up they end up peeling out and he's doing the splits and that movie was ultimately a kind of a bore but that moment in the trailer was great and i'm like if you could do more of that in a movie get the, that feeling that you get from watching him do the splits while they try and drive away uh, then I think you, if you could make, build something around that feeling you get while watching that trailer, because uh, then you could have something. But I don't know; it's hard to say with Van Damme. Yeah. He, he's kind of hit and miss, um, as a lot of these guys are anymore. But yeah, it, it could happen. Well, before I let you go, I mean, we already kind of talked about it, but um, yeah, all out of bubble gum is is back. Um, anything else that you wanna? plug or mention or discuss regarding your, uh, your, your, your really cool website. I, uh, can I just say, I love going to, uh, your website and reading the various new articles and posts and various kill counts. Um, it is, uh, you, you, you're, you're, you're doing the Lord's work, we will say. And, uh, and it is amazing. Uh, anything else that you want to uh, plug or give a shout out to? Well, I'll plug, uh, I'll plug, uh, I must break this podcast. Love your podcast. <laughs> um, I actually do. I do listen to it. Um, so there's that. Uh, and actually, weirdly enough, I, I hate uh, taking away attention from myself, I guess, but I really like the Action Elite. They're really good. So if you like action stuff, they're also really good. But uh, that's about it. I, I, I'm not really good at plugging, so that's about it for me. Well, and can I just say, I mean, I, and I'll, I'll just, I'll just put it out there not to get sentimental or anything, but I, um, thanks to the show, I really, uh, I really, uh, appreciate the fact that, uh, that, that you and I have, uh, gotten in contact and gotten to, uh, uh build and establish a friendship over the years, um, which yeah. we can say was, uh, was <laughs> pretty much blossomed out of our love of these, uh, of these movies. So, uh, so thank you for that. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for the same really i mean it's yeah. just it's so weird in a way to like to like something and then you, you find some other people like it and that they're not awful people which makes you not feel awful i don't know it's it's it is great in a way isn't it yeah yeah well, so hey. so thanks yeah no well, hey, thank you again. This was a uh, this was a ton of fun. Um, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And closing out this episode will be a sampling of the classic jam, I Just Want to Celebrate by Rare Earth, which played in the closing credits of The Expendables 2. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.